Hi, this is Shiri. Welcome to the Sandwich Parenting Podcast. We speak with wonderful people around the world who are making the world a better place because they are dedicated to helping people heal from intergenerational trauma. Sandwich parenting is all about being caught between the way we were parented and the way we now choose to parent our children. Today's guest is Vera Chang. She moved to Toronto at a very young age, and she's a therapist, and she's a very outspoken supporter of Asian mental health. So I hope all of you will join me in welcoming Vera. Thank you for having me today, Sherry. Thank you for coming. I was so excited to learn more about you and see what's on your website. You have a beautiful website with a lot of good support systems in place. So my first question, Vera, always, my listeners know this. What is your origin story? Why are you doing what you do? So just to give you a little bit of background about me. So I was born in Hong Kong and moved to Toronto in the 90s with my family. So I would identify myself as a 1.5 Asian Canadian generation. Same. Yeah, same. I'm 1.5 too. I think people get confused like the first, second, but I'm like, I don't consider a second because I'm at a young age with my parents from Hong Kong. And life was definitely tough coming from a different language, different country, meeting people, like meeting different kids and also being a victim bullying in school when you were not even fluent in English. But I was also bullied by other Asian kids. <laughs> so Interesting. I, yeah, because I don't, I wasn't fluent in English. And there were part of me as a kid that I wanted to actually to lose that Asian, the Chinese identity. I know. I, yeah. So far, I'm relating to every single thing that you're saying. Yeah. You could um, be talking about my story. I hear yeah. you. Yeah. When I say that, because I have a Chinese name, I don't really use it. I use my English name, Vera. But like, I think I just like, I don't want people to know my Chinese name. I'm thinking they would make fun of me. Obviously, they was not It's just a totally different culture. 100%. Yeah. You know, even growing up, I was also experiencing like a lot of racism, discrimination. But I've also seen firsthand experience that my parents have to gone through like discrimination and racism experience. Right. And it's quite tough. Right. Like immigrant to a new country when you don't really know anybody and you're building from like ground up. Despite I was here with my mom's sisters and her family was here. It's nice to have that family connection, but eventually we actually moved out of her home and start building our own life. And it was quite tough because obviously I want to be able to advocate for my parents' behalf when their English is not their first language. I was also scared at the same time because obviously our parents would teach us like, just keep them, don't make any trouble. Obviously they worked really hard to help us to get to where I where we are today as kids, right? Because all they want us to do is to become just like successful. They want us to be happy, healthy, and successful. Yeah. That's what they wanted. And yeah. they didn't want us to risk anything by being by taking up space. They taught us not to take up space. Yes. Yes. And just be obedient, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Don't say anything. Like you said, yeah, don't get into any trouble. Want us to get into any trouble. But I think the last couple of years when the pandemic hits, I believe even with SARS, like I have seen so much. SARS happened about, what, 20 years ago? Like, I have seen a lot of racism back then, but yes. even the last two years when the pandemic hit, it actually amplified even more. Yes. Uh, but I also remember, like, when I was here in, like, elementary school, high school, never learned any sort of Asian history, the how the Asian actually built the railway. I know. Like, like yeah. the racism, that's actually, it really started way before. With the head tax and things With like the that. The head tax, everything. There's a bunch of, like, other things, right? That really happened with the Asian community, that they actually had to endure so much. But we never learned it. I don't 
remember learning it until I was in university. No, actually, there's a lot that we never learn. We nobody knows about it until yeah. you actually make it a point to learn a little bit more. Otherwise, it's not something that people generally know. No, like know. even with residential school, the indigenous like the community, we weren't even learning that at no. in the school system. No. And that was really unfortunate. As far as I know, I can be wrong. I know right now in Toronto, the board, like Toronto School Board and also the York Region School Board, I think the Asian community are trying to push the education to teach at the younger level about like the racism back down for the Asian community. Because I don't think it's actually showing up even right now. No, because and I always feel like I have to be careful about saying this, but there are other populations that potentially have quote unquote suffered more and therefore it's a little bit more urgent to talk about their suffering. And therefore we as model minorities don't get to share our stories and our trauma and our issues that have also been intergenerational, not just in this country, but as a dysphoria, as a whole population. I agree. I agreed with you. There are definitely their other population. However, I still think that our experiences as the in the Asian community should not really be dismissed. Really should be taught for the next generation so that they know it's not just one population versus other population because we're not really competing with one another in a way. No, no. And that's and I think that's what's beautiful about what you do. It doesn't feel like it's a competition. It feels like you're saying we need support too. Yeah. And that's why I continue to amplify my voice on media, like see that and, and on social media, right? I think on both platforms saying that it needs to be talked about. And I feel like right now, obviously the pandemic have died down. And I actually I don't know whether you've noticed, I've seen in the States has more news popping up more about the Asian discrimination, racism experiences versus in the Canada side. But I think that just because they're not popping up as much doesn't mean that it's not happening. It's happening. Okay, <laughs> and and some of it is quite obvious, like very <laughs> in your face. And then there's a lot that's a lot more subtle. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's also some people like I'm not really reporting it because either they don't know how, mm. when, and even when they have reported, the police have dismissed them. Mm. That's the unfortunate part with the research. And so is that how you got into mental health? What made you become a therapist and having this specialization? Well, I got into social work, the psychotherapist, the social work round. It's because I want to be able to help and support individuals who have had similar experiences as me, as the immigrant experiences. But I also have experienced my own trauma growing up with my family and my own mental health journey. I have openly shared it on my website, on my blog, so everyone can read it. But prior to that, into my private practice, I was working in, in different community and mental health settings, like for like from different age groups, from kids to seniors. And then once I started my private practice with talk therapy with Vera, that's when I've noticed, oh yeah, like why 95% of my clients are just Asian. I didn't understand it. Even though I wasn't specifically niche to that piece, I was just more just wanting to support individual depression, anxiety, self-esteem, similar to what I've gone through. And I was just, I, I started asking clients, like, how come you wanting to work, you know, with an Asian therapist or like a female Asian therapist? I'm like, because you would understand our growing up experiences, our own trauma. I'm like, yep. I'm like, yes, I have the same trauma experiences as you, the intergenerational trauma. And that's quite tough because especially when our parents, like our parents' generation moved to a different country, they not just have to work 
to provide the kids with food on the table, et cetera, and the housing, but they also never really had the time to really emotionally be there. They were physically there, but not emotionally there. I think kids really thrive for the emotional. 100%. And so a lot of times you'll see, I guess, this population investing in education, investing in not having debt or whatever, right? Like so that there's food on the table, there's education. Our older generations have believed this is how you survive and this is how you thrive and this is how you get to success. But there wasn't a lot of emotional connection. There wasn't a lot of emotional support. No. And I think growing up, you might even be able to relate because I know I can relate to my client that we're growing up from our parents who are being very critical. I'm smiling quietly here. <laughs> <laughs> like, no matter what you do, it's never good enough. Like you need to do better or there's that constant comparison between you and your siblings or you, your friends or like, other, I don't know, like you and your cousins, like other kids. As yeah. long as there's somebody with some kind of quality that's better than yours, then you will get compared. Oh, that person has, that person's thinner. Oh, that person gets straight A's. Yes. That person is good at tennis. You're constantly being shown how someone else is better in one thing. Oh, for sure. And that really impacted our own self-esteem and it really impacted our own self-compassion. Oh, we will never none. show how to be compassionate towards ourselves, right? Yeah. That's so interesting that you say that. You mentioned two things that I also see with trauma recovery coaching, my clients. And I, like you, I ended up with a niche. I ended up with my, most of my clients are Asian. Most of them are Asian moms. And uh, you've touched on two things, right? One is that whole critical, it's part of the family, it's part of the society, it's part of the community. There's just every single thought you have will end up in a criticism of yourself. And that then in turn, like you said, impacts this concept of self-esteem, but more importantly, not knowing how to have compassion for the self. Yeah. Huge. Or like, are we constantly looking for that validation for our parents to validate us? But knowing that they would never be able to do that with words, but they can show in a different love language, like with food. That's food. <laughs> how they show they care. By cooking for you or like by giving you grocery or like giving you food. That's or, or money sometimes. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like food yeah. and money. Yeah, yeah. I just can't say it with the words, but I think we crave for the words. Like, why mm. can't you just say it that they're like proud of us? And however, mm. when they finally tell us, like, oh yeah, like we're proud of you and you're good at what you're doing, we get all like weird because I'm like, well, where is that coming from? <laughs> <laughs> I never heard that before. I'm like, yeah, that's because our parents probably experienced their own trauma with their parents. Born. 100%. 100%. And they don't even know how to validate us. That's what they're really harsh towards us. And sometimes I don't think my client recognize that piece until I have to show and explain that they probably experienced the same thing. That's why they transferred to us. Our parents and our grandparents, they weren't far away from there was war in that whole China space and you're from Hong Kong. My parents are from China, but I, I was born in Taiwan. Okay. And you know, it wasn't long ago that your island and our island, they were colonized. So there's a lot of various levels of discrimination, various levels of oppression that's through the past couple of generations. It's yeah. not that long ago. I totally agree with you. And it, it's sad. Right. Because obviously as a kid, now we're adult, as a kid, we were craving for it. We're still craving for it, for that validation. But we also have to acknowledge we're never going to be able to get it. 
or not in the way, not in the way that we need it, right? Yeah. yeah. Because and also recognize there's still going to be critical of like certain things that you've done or etc. But I think it just understanding and knowledge that it's not who internalizing it, right? Because it's obviously it's easier said than done. But I think it's just a continuous accepting piece, but just don't take it personal. And that's the tricky part, right? I'm actually curious about that. Like, how do you help your clients not take something personally? Because that's what we do. We get triggered. Our body reacts. We get go into fight, flight, freeze. There's yeah. so much going on. How does one through talk with Vera, talk therapy, how does one work through something like that? Obviously, this will take a long time to change that behavior, to really reframing your mindset. It's not like a one one session with me and think you're going to be fixed. <laughs> an ongoing thing. And it's just like, you know, first, I always ask my client, okay, is whatever your parents saying being critical, are they actually facts or are they just thought? Right. I think it's to really help you to determine reframing it yourself and also acknowledge that it's okay to acknowledge those feelings. Like you're feeling hurt, anger. Those are like normal feelings, right? I don't want you to dismiss it. I think a lot of us, we tend to dismiss it. Everything. Yeah. When we growing up, we were never taught on how to express our feelings. But I think it's just, I'm trying to help them to navigate their feeling by regulating themselves, by acknowledge that it's okay to feel this way. But these feelings does not define who you are. How beautiful. I think that's the important piece to recognize mm. that. Mm. And I think one activity is that I've always asked my client is to create affirmation within themselves that they think they are good enough, right? Like when I say affirmation, like not to be very general, but also be very specific, whether there's any sort of achievement activity that you have done that you feel good about yourself. Because I think that's very important. So not just a general, hey, you're smart, not general, but as in, hey, you know, when you did this project, you know, you worked really hard and you really found a good solution, more specific. Very specific. And I think using I statement, like I'm smart because I have done this. Uh, or like, I think using the, like, the language is very important. Like when you're saying like, you are smart, you've done this. I think sometimes it can be, the way it can be very critical, like, because you're like, you're telling you. But if you're just saying within your heart, like, I am successful because I have done this and this and this, et cetera. So valid, finding finding that validation within yourself, yeah. uh, towards yourself. Mental health, Asian mental health has, you know, it's been an is- issue for a very long time. It's not yeah. a particularly easy topic. It's not something that a lot of our older generations believe in. And mm-hmm. I'm curious, now that we've gone through a global pandemic and yeah, I don't know. It might get worse before it gets better. But yeah. what are some of the trends that you see with your clients right now? I think that obviously the racism and discrimination yeah. still exist. I think it's like you said earlier, it might not be very like out and open, but it can be very subtle with the microaggression. I think it's also learning on reporting it. Because I think we need more numbers, like we need more research saying that like it's still happening. It just because the pandemic is somewhat finished doesn't mean that the racism and discrimination is completely gone. 100%. Because there's many different reporting centers that you can report it. But also, I think I've gone to this workshop through this organization called right to be It's free. They have free training, online training on how to target on people who are racist towards within you, like how to really like teach you how to navigate when someone's making a comment or like when someone is being racist towards you. 
Like wow. what you can do. Yeah. It's quite interesting because I went to do one training and it's interesting. It was like an about an hour online workshop. It teaches skills on practicing self-care. And even though that they are like the incident is directly towards you, but I think it's also recognized that it's it's not for you to be internalized, that it's your own fault that you made it happen. And that's very powerful because if you have grown up with parents who are quite dysregulated and you've spent a lot of your life being hypervigilant and always worried about, okay, how do I make sure I don't get in trouble? How do I make sure that my parents don't get dysregulated? You, of course, are going to point to yourself when someone else is treating you inappropriately or badly or, you know, in some way shaming or blaming you, you, you're going to definitely internalize that and worry that it's you because that's what you're used to doing. Yes. That's a really neat program. I'm going to make sure we promote that right to be. Yes. I think it should be called Hollaback, but they changed the name about like earlier this year. I can't remember. They just changed the name to right to be. So yeah. Hollaback has changed its name to right to be. So it's right to be.org. Right. Yeah. Very cool. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think it's just important so that we know how to react when certain situations come. Because I think a lot of us, we just freeze. or like 100%. Oh, we just don't know what to do. Well, I mean, and I think that freeze response got trained into to many Asians because you're really not allowed to holler back and you're not allowed to, again, take up space. You're not allowed to criticize the older generation. You're not allowed to do that. And so if you're not allowed to do that and it feels wrong and you can't run away, you're going to freeze. That's right. That's right? right. That was our coping mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of time, like you said, we talked about, we used to learn how to dismiss our emotion or like we don't know how to regulate it so that sometimes when something, you know, hit us, because we've been stockpiling for so long and when something big event triggered us, we get very reactive. Very. Yeah. And then other people don't know how to deal with us when we get reactive and we get triggered. Yeah, because your body gets taken over by your stress hormones and your past unprocessed wounds. You just start going, all the things you repressed. I know. It blows up. Given that a lot of parents, especially of very young children, are finding themselves triggered by their children and still having unprocessed wounds from the way they were parented, if you could give one piece of advice, you know, to parents who may still have trauma of their own, who are now trying to raise the next generation, the next adults of the future, right. what would your one piece of advice be? I really like this question a lot because obviously I do have some clients are being triggered when it comes to parenting their own kids. And I think it's just recognizing that Parenting is not an easy job because obviously you're balancing your personal, like your work life, et cetera, and you're trying to deal with kids, right? And I think that it's recognizing you have your own difficult childhood, but I think recognizing that at the same time, it's to not project your own expectation onto the kids. You might unconsciously doing that. You might not aware like in that moment, but I think because you're thinking like, the kids should be like an adult right now. But at the same time, like they don't have the developmental brain power like we do as an adult. And just because your parents have treated you that way, but that doesn't mean that you can, you should be able to treat your kid the same way of how you were treated as a kid. And sometimes that recognize that they aren't doing it to intentionally hurt you. They just don't know how to regulate because they have seen you don't know how to regulate yourself. So they know that that's what they're learning it from you. And I think that 
it's also recognized that it's don't take your frustration or anger onto your kids because they don't deserve it. it. Just because the kids are very easy to blame, you know, you have to recognizing that you need to deal, it's your own responsibility to deal with your own frustration or anger. So for example, you know, you can scream at the pillow, something just to deal with your own frustration, but just not to take it out on the kids. And really just learn how to balance all of it. And I think I just want to give one final tip. It's that if you guys have family dinner together, you and your kids and your husband have family dinner together, will you have a conversation? Like a very like casual conversation. Like, how's your day? What did you do in school? Like, obviously we never had that when we were a kid growing up. But I think for you to build that relationship with your kids, it's very important. Because I think that they really need to be able to see the family dynamic. It should be like a conflict-free. And the kids should be shown how the parents, how you already care about them. Or even making one positive comment, right? It doesn't have to be like, I didn't like the way you lied to me. They're really focusing on the negative. But I think it's also trying to reframe it. Reframing and trying to focus on the positive. Like, I didn't like you lied to me. But however, I like the way how you came to me and talked to me about it. I appreciate it. I think that have to have the positive reinforcement and just really showing the kids it's not just about like negative and being critical all the time. That's such good advice at so many levels. You know, being somebody who has had to make those kinds of changes, I know how hard it is, but I know how great the payoff has been to make those changes. Like I absolutely agree with everything that you said. And so as we near the end of our very quick but very fun conversation, How would somebody find you if they're interested in working with you to work through their parenting challenges, their mental health challenges? How would they find you? So I have my website. It's called talktherapywithvera.com. So that's the best way to reach out and contact me through there if you're looking for mental health support. I also have an Instagram page where I post a lot of mental health information and resources. So my handle is talktherapy.with. Dot Vera. Yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Well, I think it's wonderful that you provide content on Instagram because that allows people to perhaps, if they're not ready yet for actually deep work with talk therapy, that you're providing essentially a free service and free resources for them. So that's amazing that you do that. And I hope that lots of people who are finding challenges with their mental health can come and talk with you. I think you give really good advice on Instagram. And today you gave us a lot of really good advice as well. So thank you so much, Vera. Yeah, really had a great time doing this. Thank you so much for listening to the Sandwich Parenting Podcast. I hope that you learned something new that will help you along your parenting journey. I know I always do. You can always connect with me at www.sandwichparenting.com.